Well, welcome to the next in our series called Keep the Change, Keep the Change. Can anyone remind me, can anyone remember, why is this series called Keep the Change? Because we want to change. We want to keep the change. Yeah, what does that mean? We want to change, we don't want to go back. I like it. So this, that's right. So this is a series about changing in a way that lasts. And that doesn't just last us for a few days or a week or as long as we're enthusiastic. But change that really lasts. And so that's why we've called this series. That's why um, it's been called Keep the Change. Now, this is the fifth week in our series, which means we've been doing it for over a month or so. And so that really, I just thought that feels like enough time for something to have changed in me. Doesn't that, a month feels like a good amount of time, doesn't it, for something to have happened? And so um, you, if you went to your city group this week, you may have been asked this question already, but um, I'm going to give you it again this morning. I really feel God wants to ask us this question this morning. Have I changed yet? Have I changed yet? That's the question for us to ask ourselves. And you can, um, you can ask the person next door to you if you've got someone next door. Have, have you started changing yet? Will you ask the person next to you? Did, did anyone answer? That was a lot of talking for just have you started changing yet. There, were more, there was more than that. Other talking happened. Have you started changing yet? Okay, I didn't say you had to answer. So really ask yourself that question this morning. Have I started changing yet? Yet. Because we will change. Because God's a good God and he's full of grace and full of mercy and full of goodness towards us. Have I started changing yet? Has my devotional life changed? Because we're really looking at the heart of devotion in all that we've been looking at for these last four or five weeks, a devoted life. Has my worship changed? Is your worship any different now to what it was like at the beginning of the year? What about your prayer life? Has your way you pray changed at all? I'm just thinking about ways you could have changed. I'm sure God's got many more, and you'd be able to suggest some more as well. Has my approach to my finances changed? Has my family life changed, or the way that I am in my family, the way I am with my husband or my wife or whoever I'm at home with? And I just thought that was really encouraging, good uh, question to ask ourselves, because, you know, we really want to be different, don't we, to what we were like a month ago. I thought a month of the year, six weeks actually, the year's gone. That's more than 10%. So we really want to see change that lasts, don't we? And so we want to have changed by now. So I really want to encourage you, if you don't feel like you can identify any change, then just say to God this morning, you know, ask him now, Lord, change my heart. Should we say that together? Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. God's never going to say no to that prayer. He's never going to say no to that. So there's still time for us to change. Isn't that good news? So, um, yeah, let's not fill ourselves with head knowledge this morning, right? We really want to, although it's good, but we really want to encounter the presence of God through the Bible and have the Holy Spirit bring those words into our hearts because head knowledge doesn't change anything except for the amount of stuff you have to forget to get that head knowledge in once you're a grown-up. Whereas encounter and the presence of God changes the inside of us, and that's the bit where we really need to see change, isn't it? The heart. Okay, so you said it yourself, you want to change, that's a good start. So let's read today's passage, and it's from 1 Chronicles 29, 
And it's verses 14 to 20, which is what's on the screen, but it says 17 to 20. That's just a um, typo. So 1 Chronicles 29, verses 14 to 20. I can hear the silence of nobody with a paper Bible. <laughs> they used to be like 50-50 about a year ago, but now there's just almost no, well done, very good. There are still some paper Bibles left. Steve's lifted, oh, Steve's got one, okay. I think you're lifting up an offering envelope there, Steve, enthusiastically. Well, while you're not finding it, I'm going to remind you um, about how we got to this passage today and why we're reading it. So two weeks ago, Karis spoke to us about the story of, just before this passage, of King David, the greatest of Israel's kings, a man who God said had a heart like his own heart. What an amazing thing to, to have said about you, for God to say, yeah, his heart's just like mine. So we read about King David that he wanted to build a great temple for God. Um, so the, until that time, the people had basically been wandering people. Well, they weren't wandering, they were pioneers. So they were following God all around the place. And God hadn't let them settle anywhere because he was taking them to a land that he wanted to be his. And because they moved all the time, they needed to have mobile everything. So they also had a mobile place for God to live. And this wasn't their idea, it was God's idea. And he'd given them instructions for a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And in that place, God decided that he would stay with them. And the people knew that God's presence was with them because he was in that tabernacle. And they, it was mobile. They could pick it up and move it along. And when God said to go, they went. And then they put it down again. But in King David's time, God had given them great victories. They'd started to take over the land that God had told them was theirs. And they'd also taken over the city of Jerusalem, which was going to be their capital. And um, in that city, David had then started to build a house for himself. He had a palace. And then the people had started to build permanent houses. And so David suddenly had this desire in his heart. We're all living in permanent houses, but God's living in a tent. So I want to build him a temple. And that was where we got to. Um, but God spoke to David and had said, no, you're not the king that's going to build this temple. And in fact, he said that his son Solomon was the one that God wanted to build it. But God was, David was so grateful to God. He had such a great heart for God. that, And he was so filled. He was just so filled with like wonder and love and praise for God and spontaneous songs. You know, the Bible's got a book of Psalms. It's full of loads of songs from David that he just like sang because he was so overjoyed with God. He was so overjoyed that he said, well, right, I'm just going to gather up as much as I can of all the resources that are going to be needed to build this temple. And all the nation's resources I'm going to get them all in. I'm going to get the instructions written down so that when God says it's okay to build the temple, it's all ready. And that's where we arrive at this passage here. So this is David speaking now. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. So he's praying. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. 
And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. Father, this morning, Lord, there's just such a great sense of your presence here with us and the power to change. Lord, there's such a great sense that your heart is for us, that we should be completely given over and sold out to you. And Lord, in that atmosphere and in that sense that the Holy Spirit is calling us as a people to do that, Lord, we receive this word this morning. God, we receive it into our hearts. Lord, before we've even heard some of what you want to say, we open our hearts and we say, Lord, yes to you. Lord, yes to you. Lord, come change our hearts. We need our hearts to be wholeheartedly given over to you. Lord, that we might also be people that build something great for God. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Change our hearts this morning. Don't just fill our minds. Give us hearts that are open to you to be changed forever in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're looking at the heart. We call this right to the heart of it. We're looking at devotion and what it means in the heart. And so since we're going to talk about hearts, let's start by having a look at one. So Paul and Jude are going to help me with this. Jude has very bravely said that we can have a look at his heart. <clears throat> Thanks, Jude. Whatever you do, don't jump up, jump up on here. That'd be foolish. And you might clip it and then embarrass yourself. Thanks, man. Okay. Here's Jude. Now, if ever there was a man who looked like he had a good heart, it's Jude. Jude looks like he's got a good heart. So that's, the, that's part of the reason why I picked him. Thanks, Paul. Now, true to the NHS, Jude, we've brought you the most comfortable of things that you can sit on. So if you could just move out of the way here. Paul's just going to lay this out for us. Fantastic. Excellent. Wow. How long are Jude's legs? You know that it's possible that he might fill this whole thing. Okay. Okay, have, have a seat there. Oh, okay. We're, we're, one, we're one chair. Too many. Okay, here we go. Well, thanks, Jude. It's really brave of you to do this. I didn't okay. ask what you were doing. You didn't tell me either. <laughs> I did not reply to that text message. <laughs> Jude says, hmm, sounds ominous. And I replied, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, so we're gonna, what we're going to do now is we are going to... Look, what I do with my... There we go. Here we go. So we're going to start by having a look at one. So if we could dim the lights, please. Okay, good. Excellent. Now, let's see how we do. Nathan, we all ready here? So by the medium of pretend, we're going to just have a... Wow, look at that. That is extraordinary. This is very unprofessional, but excuse me, sir, would you mind just holding on to that yourself? Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks very much. So here's Jude's heart. Wow, look at that. It's, it's going at, I don't know what the heart rate is there. It probably says somewhere on there. Um, but it's going sort of, you know, about 60 beats per minute there, isn't it? Look how beautiful it is. Now, I'm going to quickly show you something. I'll have to do it on both sides. Okay, here we go. I've got the laser pointer out. So this is Jude's heart. This is called the apical four-chamber view, Okay. So the white bit at the top there, that's the shining light on my iPhone, shining through 
Jude's thorax and into his heart. So you're seeing it upside down, okay? So you're looking kind of up Jude's chest here. So here, here's the right atrium. This is receiving blood from all over Jude's body. It's all flowing back up his legs, arms, brain, all coming back into the right atrium here. The right atrium is pushing it into the right ventricle. That's a bigger chamber there. And then the right ventricle is pushing it. Where is it pushing it to, Jude? (laughs) To the lungs. To the lungs, yeah. Well, (laughs) what are they teaching in biomedical science these days? No, I know you know where it's going. Okay. I know. I'm sorry. You were, you were going for the name of the artery and yeah, stuff, weren't you? It's the pulmonary artery. You're totally right. So, okay. Uh, there we go. So, it's pushing it out into the lungs. Here are the lungs here. Going around the lungs, getting rid of all those waste products, picking up some nice um, oxygenated. Uh, and then it's coming back in here. Here's the left atrium. Jude's left atrium here. Woof. Looks good. It's all coming back in there. The blood, all nice oxygenated blood. And then it's going in here, this huge chamber here, the most powerful of the four chambers of the heart, the left ventricle. And that is pumping the blood back out through which vessel? It is the aorta, yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, to the systemic circulation. And back around Jude's body again, to his hands, his feet, his brain, his tummy, bowels, all the different parts of his body. So that is Jude's heart there in the world of pretend. Jude, thank you very much. You can take the echocardiogram off now. You need to stay there, though. Okay, give Jude a round of applause. I've always wanted to use a laser pointer at church. <laughs> That's not the reason why I did it, though. Okay, so there we go. So um, that was Jude's heart. So our physical hearts are just incredibly important to us, as we know. They're right at the center of the working of our body. Everything in our body feeds into the heart, and the heart itself has an effect on every part, and every part receives from it. And it's so connected to the rest of the body that its effects can be seen everywhere in your whole body. So 40 years ago, maybe, before we had echocardiograms, maybe less, I'm not sure, um, we wouldn't have been able to look at Jude's heart like that. So we would have had to look at the effect of his heart on the rest of his body. Now, Antonia was going home to get her stethoscope, but I wonder... How did she get it? Do you know where she put it? Okay, that's fine. We can move on using the medium of pretend again. That's all right, man, don't worry. So, uh, it, I'm going to do an examination of Jude's heart now without being able to see his heart. This is extraordinary stuff. So, as you can see, I've come over and approached Jude from his right. That's the correct way to examine a patient. I'm aware that there are doctors in the audience, and I haven't done a cardiovascular exam properly for many, many years. So, I'm just going to do this very briefly. So, first of all, I'm going to look at Jude's hands. Why would I do that? Because, of course, it's important to look everywhere in the body for the effect of the heart. So, I'm just having a quick look at your nails here. Uh-huh. Just looking, assessing for clubbing. Yeah, just having a look at the nails. Mm. I'm going to have a feel of Jude's pulse here. Ah, yeah. Jude's okay. Um, it's just going to have to see it. Can I feel the character of Jude's pulse here? Mm. Good, it's a good pulse. I can see that Jude's pulse has good character. Okay, I'm going to just, if you could just lean, lean your head back on the chair there and just slightly over to the. Mm. Okay, I'm going to have a look at the, the waveform of the, the Venus. Pressure coming from Jude's heart here. Can't see it at all, but I'm looking for it. Okay, now I'm going to have a look in Jude's eyes. Have you just look up for me, sir? Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Now, if you open your mouth and say, ah, that's just to prove that you've been to the doctors. It's nothing to do with the heart. <laughs> okay. And now um, I'm not going to inspect and palpate your heart because it's a family gig. So um, I'm just going to have a listen now to your heart. Okay, here we go. Here's my stethoscope. 
Here I go, I'm listening to the apex there. Tricuspid area. Mm. Mm. Pulmonary area, good. Aortic area there. Ooh. Oh, no, it's okay. Good. Okay, <laughs> and then I'm going to have a look at the rest of Jude. I'm going to have a look at his feet and things. Um, maybe, I'm not sure. Probably, it used to be part of it. Um, and then I'm going to say, wow, Jude, your heart's okay. Congratulations. Thanks very much for being a willing volunteer. Okay, you can go. Okay, good. So, our spiritual heart is equally at the core of our person, just as much as our physical heart is. And everything about our heart affects who we are. And who we are, every, in every other way, affects our heart. And so, just as we can look on someone's physical body for signs of how their heart is doing, so also there are signs of how our spiritual heart is doing. One of them is found in Luke. It's from the words of Jesus. And he said this, um, from the overflow, you can see at the end of that verse there, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Isn't that amazing? That's Jesus's doctor. That's Dr. Jesus coming to examine someone. So instead of listening in, he says, what you say overflows from what is in your heart. He's showed us a way of examining what's in there. How I speak is directly connected to my heart. If I, um, you know, the way what I speak about the topic of my speech is all connected to my heart. It's all overflows from in there. So we must care for our spiritual heart and invest in it and protect it because it's at the very core of our spiritual life. The Proverbs say, guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. And so your spiritual heart is just as real as that one that we saw on the screen earlier. It's no less real than what we looked at just then. Isn't that amazing? That's a, that was a real image of someone's heart. And your spiritual heart is just as real as that, just that you can't see it. So instead of having expensive machinery or doctors to look at our heart, we need something else. And that's the Bible and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says of itself in the New Testament book of Hebrews, it says the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is like that machine that comes and looks and sees what the heart is like. The Bible is reading us like, a, like that machine does. And when we read the Bible in the power of the Holy Spirit, it tells us about our hearts. Now, why is this important? Well, the reason it's important and is because of this. It's the most important thing, I think, really for us to take away from today. So if you write something down in capitals, write this one. The, the reason is this. This is from Pastor Clive's devotional that continues on from this this week. The key to building anything for God is wholehearted devotion to God himself. The key to building anything for God is wholehearted devotion to God himself. So the key to doing something for God is being something with God. So we're going to do something that um, we did now at medical school, and that was in order to understand something about uh, the organ that you were studying. You always studied it at its most healthy, so that if it was diseased, it was easier to spot. And so by looking at this um, passage with David in it, we're looking at some great healthy 
wholehearted devotion that we can see tells us what a heart of devotion really looks like. So we're going to start in these ways. So firstly, a heart of devotion gives abundantly. A heart of devotion gives abundantly. I'm super aware of the fact that it turns out that these had talc on the inside of them, but never mind. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be talky for the rest of it. That's okay. It's all part of an abundant offering to you. Okay, so David and the people have brought such a huge offering to the Lord. In the chapter before, the one we just read, it describes how they brought together these huge collections of different materials. They brought gold, they brought silver, they brought precious metals. They'd measured it and weighed it all out. It was all recorded there. It's sort of piles and piles of amazing gifts given to be used to build God's temple. And then on top of all of that, David decided that he was going to add his own personal wealth to be put on top of all of that, to add to it from what he had himself rather than just what the people had brought from the nation. He'd already done an amazing work in encouraging people to give, and yet he felt in his heart the need to give more. Something just overflowed in David, and it wasn't enough just to see these incredible riches all piled up there. He felt that he needed to do something more as well himself. And so from what he had, all of his riches, he poured out more and more to God. The word that gets translated abundance, David says, this great abundance, Lord, that we've brought to you. It means, it's the same word that means like a great, it means a, like a great multitude or a great shout or a great noise. It's kind of a big sort of noisy lots and lots, a big excess that's sort of loud. And that's where that Hebrew word kind of takes us when the idea of giving abundantly. It's not showy, but it is like extravagant and free in its giving. That's what the word means. It's a sort of real shout of praise and of like honor to God and freely giving what you've got. And that's the heart with which David gave away from his personal wealth. And I was thinking about this because obviously Solomon was with him as well. So imagine you're the son of a really rich dad. And then you're there with your dad. This is a great celebration happening. And then your dad goes, and then on top of all of this, I'm just going to give it all away. And you'd sort of be like, oh, yeah. And they'd be like, I'm going to give the car. Look, kids, get the car. Let's give the car. And you'd be like, oh, the car as well? Okay. Because obviously that's your, that was his. That was going to come to him. That was Solomon's money in the future, wasn't it? It was David's inheritance to his children. And out of that inheritance, he just gives he gives it away. And do you know what's so amazing about that? I want to ask you a question. Did Solomon lose out from David's generosity? Well, who is Solomon? The richest king. And the Bible says that never before or since has there been anyone with the wealth of Solomon. So I really want to encourage you, you can never, ever sell your family short by being generous in your heart towards God. Never. You will only lay up good things for your children and for your family and for your future and for what comes after you by having a heart of abundant generosity towards God. Isn't that really good news? Such good news. What an amazing story that David just gives it all away, and then Solomon just inherits the most incredible kingdom ever seen on the face of the earth. I think that's awesome. So this is the first, if you like, this is our spiritual echocardiogram, okay? I'm going to put this on my heart here. So I'm going to put my hand on my heart. It's a way of looking at my heart. And the question I'm asking myself is this, how is my giving 
and offering towards God. So I want you to do that as well. Put your hand on your heart. It's about here. So God's asking us this question. How is my offering and my giving towards him? Okay. So the heart of devotion to God, a whole heart gives abundantly. Number two, the whole heart releases, lets go, sorry, willingly. So it should be let's go willingly. David had had this great plan of building the temple of God. I don't know, he probably dreamt about it, maybe. He was that sort of person. He was like really, you know, he was just quite moved person. He like loved to do things for God. I suspect he probably had a dream of what it would look like. I think, you know, maybe at this stage in his life, after all, he'd done all the battles um, for God, and now they'd settled into a time of peace. He was probably thinking maybe this was going to be like his last big thing that he did for God to build the temple. It's probably in his heart all that time, you know, I'm going to build a temple for, for God at the end. Maybe it was kind of like the last statement of his reign as king to be able to build the temple, you know, the last big thing that he did. And then God's word comes to him through the prophet and says, uh, God doesn't want it to be you that does this. Uh, he wants it to be your son. So that's the word that comes to David. And what's David's response to this? It's so amazing. He says, okay. Okay, but if I can't build it, I want to provide all the resources for it. And I want to plan for it. And I want to be the one that invests prayer in it. And I want to be the one that really sends everyone on their way with it. But I'm going to completely let it go. None of the credit's going to come to me. Someone else is going to get to build it. And how easy would it have been for David to say, oh, hang on a minute. If I'm not going to be like at the front of this thing, then, you know, I'll probably just like, I'll give a goodwill offering or I'll kind of give them, you know, a show of goodwill, a a bit of gold. I don't know what David had, some camels to chip in there, you know, to make the whole thing go along well because he'd not been allowed to be at the front. You see, David wasn't just abundant in his offering towards God. He was releasing of control. And that is an incredible thing to do, to release control and to let God be in control. And you know, this is something that really um, a lot of people struggle with, and we can struggle with in our lives towards God, is to really open our hands and let go of control to allow God to be in the driving seat. And part of the reason for that is that um, because God never controls and manipulates, or he never manipulates and uses us, when we let go of control of our own lives, it can sometimes feel a little bit like no one's in control, like letting go of the wheel. And then putting your hands back on the wheel again. And the reason for that is that God is not, He doesn't come in and take the place of someone just driving and making all your decisions for you without you having any say in it, because God's not a manipulator. He gives us our will. So we have to choose constantly to continually not grab back hold of the steering wheel. It's quite a hard thing to do. And you'll know this if you've ever taught anyone to drive. I haven't, but that day will come. And um, I remember driving with my dad. And it is so hard to let go. of When you are the driver and you've got a 17-year-old in the car with you, it's really hard to just let go of control of your car. And so I can remember sort of driving. My dad would be like, don't just do that. It's the third. And then we'd have this kind of ongoing thing. And because it's, it's really hard, you know, to let go. And so that's the, that's the heart which we need to have towards God is a continual letting go. It means to open our hands 
which are talky at the moment, but it means to open our hands to God so that God is able to take and to use what he wants to take and to use. I can specifically remember, I can distinctly remember the first time that I felt like I'd really let God have control of, of my life in a major way that changed the direction of it. And that was in about 2009, 2010, something like that. And I remember it's the first time that I really, really, in my heart, caught hold of the vision that we've been following and pursuing as a church for a few years by then, which was Pastor Cesar Castellanos' vision and the, the, uh, the church that he has in Bogota, their vision to see every person brought up as a leader of other people, touch other people's lives, and to influence other people's lives, that we can all do that and raise up people for God the same way that Jesus raised up his disciples. And I'd known that in my head, but I don't think it ever really caught it in my heart. And it was the first time that I really said yes to that in my heart. I can remember, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a, I wasn't against it in any way, but it was just all up here. And then one day it suddenly became in here. I was in our our house one morning on my own, and suddenly the reality of what it meant just became completely real to me. And I remember I had to say this to God, and this is how I knew that it was real. I had to say this to God. I said, Lord, if, if I get to the end of my life and all I've left behind me is 12 guys who are also sold out to that same vision of getting 12 guys and influencing them to win people for Jesus, and they're sold out to that vision, if that's all I've left behind and don't have anything else to show for my life on this earth, then that's enough for me. And I don't believe that that's, that is necessarily all that I will have left behind, but the letting go is to say to God, if that's all it was, that would be enough for me, which is, of course, what Jesus left behind when he left this earth after his phenomenal ministry. He left behind those men, and that was enough for him. And when I said that, I knew that I'd let go of control of my life. It was a really unusual feeling. And do you know how you know that you've let go of control? It's a good test. Is It feels like a bit of a relief. I don't know if you know that feeling. It feels like a bit of a relief because actually God is wanting our hearts all the time, but he won't take them off us. So when we let go of that kind of struggle that happens, you just feel like, wow, I just feel, yes, that was the right thing to do. And it's such a great relief. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard, but it leaves us with a great sense of, wow, yeah, that was right. That was a good thing to do. I just felt like this is what I was made for. I, I was made to do this. I give away my right to all kinds of other things, success in ministry the way I might want to see it, or a job particularly that I want, that I've thought about, or my finances looking like this, whatever it might have been, I just felt the feeling of giving that away. And it was so releasing. It's actually really freeing and empowering. Such a good feeling. So I'd really encourage you to really lift those things to God today, to think, what is it that you feel that is yours, you have a right to have? What is it that you feel like, this is my right to have this thing? Whether it's a job, particular job, a particular way of life, particular house, a particular way of doing things. I'd really encourage you to let go of that. David let go of his right to have the temple and he did it freely and willingly because his heart was whole and healed before God and he was able to let go of it. And he let go really of something that's such an important thing, which is he let go of the right to be recognized for what he'd done. And the want and the need to be recognized is such a big thing in our world. 
and in our lives. You know, we want to be recognized for things, and sometimes that's good, and we do get recognition for things that we work hard for, but sometimes we won't. And Jesus is a good example of that, isn't it? Jesus was a man who walked in our example, you know, for our example on the earth and was not recognized for what he did, but he didn't let needing recognition take away from what God wanted to do in his life. So if we really need to be able to let go of rec- needing recognition for God's work in our life. And this is what David did, you know, when he said, hey, I'm going to store it all up. I'm going to do the work for it. And someone else is going to get the recognition for it. It's an amazing heart. So a heart of devotion. We're going to put our hands on our heart now. So I want you to put your hand on your heart. Have I given up control? Have I given up control? That's God's check of our heart this morning. Number three. The heart, devoted heart, invests eternally. The devoted heart invests eternally. And this is, for me, just a key part of our devotion towards God is whether or not we see investing in generations and building beyond ourselves as important in our lives. This is what David did. He said that he wanted the generations beyond him to continue in his ways And he asks God, this is amazing, you know, his prayer. He asks God to keep these desires and thoughts in these people forever. It's such an incredible prayer. He says, keep these thoughts and desires in the hearts of your people forever. So really, David's basically praying for us. He's praying for us meeting here this morning. We're the answer to David's prayer. Keep these hearts, keep these thoughts and desires in the heart of your people forever. And here we are looking to God for desires and thoughts that are wholehearted in answer to David's prayer. So amazing, you know, he's praying for us thousands of years later, and here we are in answer to his prayer. David sees generations going way beyond himself, and he knows that if generations don't take up the call, then there'll be nothing left in a generation. And only a few generations after him, that was the case until Jesus came. So, He reminds the people who are listening that God is able to do it. You know, he says that God is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Israel or Jacob. Those three great forefathers, the Israelites, used to look back and remember. And so David's saying, hey, look, God's done it before. God's a God that works through generations of people. He keeps things going. He he keeps visions moving on. God's a God who's able with wholehearted people to keep the same thing going through and through a generation. So why do we need a heart of devotion for investing in generations? Well, it's because it costs. It really costs to invest in generations. Anyone who's got children will know that that also costs. And that's a very practical way that you know that it costs to have a generation. But it costs us to have a spiritual generation after us as well because it's consuming of our resources. We have to pour your life in to give someone else the opportunity to grow after you. And sometimes you want to meet your own needs and actually you have to give those rights away so that you invest in the people that are coming after you or the people that are around you. And families are a great picture of that, but it's not just families because Jesus said, my mother and brothers are here with me. That was his disciples, wasn't it? So Jesus is looking for generations that go, that yeah, they include our family, but they go way beyond that into the people around us. Those that we're able to win and influence are our generations. So, If our hearts are devoted to God in a wholehearted way like David was, then they'll think about generations. It'll be in our thoughts. The future and who's coming after us will be in our thoughts. And so that's another great 
example of wholeheartedness that David shows us. If I've got a whole heart like that, then I'll think about generations. I'll think about who's coming after me. I'll think about what I'm doing. And I'll think about giving up my own rights and my own resources to pour into someone else. And that's a really challenging thing to do, but it's really fulfilling. And it's a great sign that our heart is devoted to him. So the final one is that the heart of devotion praises endlessly. The heart of devotion praises endlessly. This is like an amazing worship service that happens at the end. David just kind of calls for some praise to happen. He says, right, everyone, praise the Lord. I don't know if there was more to it than that, or that was just a summary, or whether that was all he said. Maybe, he just, well, he probably was like the most anointed worship leader ever or something. So he just said that, and then everyone went, yeah, we really want to praise the Lord. And all this praise just broke out in the people. It says, all the people gave themselves in praise to God. Isn't that amazing? So incredible, you know? There must have been just such an, there must have been just such an atmosphere there of like, worship, of giving, of yourself, you know, with all this kind of material piled up, with people knowing that David was giving away his chance to build a temple, knowing that he was going to die and give away his kingdom to someone else, knowing that he was investing in them. You know, there was just such a great atmosphere of wholeheartedness and of giving away to God. And in that atmosphere, worship must have just been really, really easy. There was no kind of, you know, it took 20 minutes for everyone to get into it. In this atmosphere of wholehearted giving to God, worship and praise were just a natural overflowing of what they were about. Isn't that awesome? So they bow down. It says they all gave themselves in praise to God, and then they all started bowing down. And then eventually they all just ended up on their faces, worshiping the Lord because of their whole hearts towards God. And that came, you know, just through their own response to God, which is what God wants, isn't it? You know, God's not going to drag something out of us because God's looking for a response that we want to give. And I think this is one of the most powerful spiritual checkup, spiritual echo that we can do on our heart is this. We're going to do it early for this point, okay, because we're going to wrap in now. So put your hand on your heart now. And I want to ask you this question. Does God have your whole heart in praise and worship? Does God have your whole heart in praise and in worship? It's a good question to ask. Okay, so it's really important for us to realize that when we praise and worship together, the atmosphere is different. Something happens in the atmosphere. The presence and power of God are with us in a special way. And therefore, if there are issues in our heart, because our heart is connected to every part of us and every part is connected to it, often those things come to the surface when we're praising and worshiping. In that atmosphere, those things just seem to come to the surface. And that's good. That's a sign that our heart is connected to the rest of us. Sometimes we might feel emotional in praise and worship. We don't know why. That's good. That shows that we're connected to God because our heart is important in our praise and our worship to him. Sometimes God will just heal us in praise and worship. We don't know why, but the Holy Spirit will just touch our hearts and just heal us as we praise and as we worship. Sometimes if there are issues in our hearts, unforgiveness or a kind of holding on stubbornly to sin or to bitterness, that makes it really hard to connect with God in praise and worship. It's a good spiritual tester for us. It's not for someone else to look at us. It's a good spiritual tester for ourselves. If I find it hard to connect in praise and worship, it's not that you're not a connected person. It's not that God just didn't give you joy 
It's not that God hasn't made you an emotional person. If you find it hard to connect in praise and worship, it's a, it's a spiritual echo and it's helping you to know, hey, there's something going on in my heart. I can't connect in praise and worship. I can't connect in this atmosphere. And so that's a great sign. You know, that's not a bad thing for us to think about. This one is good. If you find that to be your experience, God wants to make your heart whole. When our hearts are whole, we can praise and worship. It doesn't mean everyone's expression is exactly the same, but it does mean that we can praise and worship with everything that we are, and we can give away all concern about what we look like or what other people are thinking, and we can just give ourselves over to praise and worship. It's a brilliant test of where our hearts are at. It's the fourth sign that we learn in this passage from David of what a healthy, wholehearted devotion looks like. So I'd really encourage you, if you're bored in the praise and worship, or you get really uncomfortable, or if you always need to leave and go out somewhere else and do something else and then come back again, then you can do something about that today. Isn't that really good? God wants to heal and touch our hearts this morning so that we have whole hearts that don't have that need in them anymore. God is in the business of changing our hearts. And that's what's different about what we're doing this morning and what we did with Jude, is that what we're doing this morning is not just looking, but God isn't just in the, in the business of looking at us. God also brings the power to heal. And that's something that only God can do. So where we need wholeheartedness, it's not just that God wants to point out to us, hey, there's something wrong. God, you know, this, you've got a need there. He also this morning wants to bring that change to our lives so that our hearts are whole and that we can give ourselves away. Isn't that amazing? The reason God wants to make you whole is, yeah, it's for you, but it's actually also so that you can give yourself away in wholehearted devotion to him. So it was great that we, you know, was, this is one of those talks where when you get up to do the talks, the, most of the topic of the talk has already been said in the meeting through the worship and through the different words that came. But there was a great line that I just thought so summarized um, what we're about this morning in the song that we sang, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. It says, what can make me whole again? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so this morning, there's good news for us because as we thought about those signs of wholeheartedness that we're able to give abundantly with our offering, we're able to let go of control willingly and the need to be recognized, that we're able to praise, worship freely and endlessly. And what's my third one? I'm only asking you because I've forgotten it. Thank you very much. That we're able to invest eternally in generations. Those signs, if we don't feel that we have them in our heart, there's good news this morning, which, and that's that God wants to bring them into our hearts this morning and through what we're going to read this week from the devotional that Pastor Clive sent. So let's respond now just, um, just where we are. Why don't we stand and we're going to respond to God One of the things that Pastor Clive is going to talk about a bit more in the devotional that we've got this week is about how Jesus shed blood from his heart. And that blood represents that his heart was broken, but that our hearts can be completely restored. Jesus' heart was pierced and broken so that we could have whole and restored hearts. And you know, there's many places in 
the Bible, including the passage that we've read, where people ask for wholeheartedness, which is an amazing thought. You know, you can ask God for a whole heart. God's a great healer. He's a great restorer. He brings back what's been stolen. And where there are wounds in our heart, he's able to touch our hearts and to restore them. And so, you know, as we've looked at these things this morning, if you feel like, God, I just don't feel like that's my experience. I don't feel I can give like that. I don't feel I can let go. I'm not bothered about the future and about generations. I've got too much going on in my own life. You know, I find it really difficult to connect in praise and worship. Then the root of that isn't that there's something wrong with you personally. It's that God wants to do something in your heart. And that's good news because it means it can change. And that's what we said at the start. Lord, change my heart. We want to see change in our lives. So let's lift up our hands to God right now, if you can. Holy Spirit, we just pray, come and touch our hearts this morning. Lord, we see that if we want to build something great for you, it can only happen when our hearts are whole and restored. If we want to build a family, we want to build a city group, we want to build touching and winning the lives of others, if we want to build a job even, all these things, if we want to build for God, we need whole hearts, Lord. And Father, this morning we recognize that there needs to be a healing in our hearts. God, we recognize that there's holes in our hearts spiritually that need to be filled and only your blood can do it. Lord, we thank you when you died on the cross, you made a way that our hearts could be completely restored. So this morning, Holy Spirit, we just want to ask, will you come and move on us right now? Come and touch hearts in this place. We thank you. You're the great doctor. You're the great surgeon. You come and you heal and restore hearts by the power of your blood. You were broken, Lord. Your heart was broken that our hearts might be completely whole. Lord, this morning, it's our heart's desire to say, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Lord, this morning, we want to have hearts that are sold out and are given over to you in every way. Father, we want to have hearts this morning that are ready to give abundantly, just piles on piles on piles to give away, Lord, the resources that you've given us because it all comes from your hand. Lord God, we want to be those who will let go of the plan of the future for our lives and will allow you to be the one that directs and that takes our lives forward. Lord, we want to be those that are, whose hearts burn for generations and for the future of our own family and our city and our nation, that we wouldn't be so consumed by our own needs and our own lives and our own circumstances that we're unable to look up and to see that generations are following us. God, we want to be those that have a heart for generations and for multitudes. And God, we want this place to be a place where praise and worship wholeheartedly rises up endlessly to you. That God, it would be like we read in that passage, that Lord, we'd be able to say, praise the Lord, and everyone's heart would rise up in praise towards you. That God, we fall to our knees and bow down, fall to our faces, that this place would fill with praise and worship. Lord, not because of a band on a stage, but because of hearts that are devoted to you, wholly given over to you and healed and restored. That God wants to touch that particular area today. So I'm going to encourage you, if you feel that's you, if 
you feel that you just can't connect in praise and worship, it might have been there all your life, might have been there, might have crept in over years or months. I really want to encourage you, God wants to see change in that this morning. That's not God's best for you, and it's not his inheritance for you either. So if that's you, I really want to encourage you just to, um, to respond in your heart towards God, just to say where you are now, just under the quietness of your breath, just to say, God, that's me. Just to say, God, that's me. That's all you need to say. And then I want you to say this after me, just in your heart of hearts, just to say, Lord, heal my heart. Lord, heal my heart. And as you pray that, the Holy Spirit's going to come and begin to work, and he's going to show you why that is and how you can bring and see change come in your life so that you can feel released to praise and to worship him in the way that he really wants to be praised and worshipped. And the second thing that I really specifically want to pray for is about that issue of control, of controlling our lives, you know, of, of being... the. the of wanting to kind of have it all, if you like. So we say, God, yeah, you've got my life. I give it all to you. But also, this is exactly the job I want. This is exactly the place I want to live. This is exactly how I want my life to look. I want to have this, these children at this time. I want to go to this place and live there because that's what I want to do. The idea of we're kind of trying to like juggle the whole thing. So like, God, you're the Lord of my life, but also this is my plan to try and bring that all together. But you know, when the word came to David and God said, no, it's not going to be you, he just said, that's okay. If it's not going to be me, I'm just going to give everything I've got to make sure that it still happens in a great way. And then I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to give away my right to be recognized. And I'm just going to serve and give everything I have for this. Such an awesome heart. You know, if we had hearts of that, I, be- I, f- I truly believe that if our hearts could be whole and devoted in that way, in this place, just this small number that we are, there's nothing that God couldn't do in this world, in this nation, in this city, with the people whose hearts are willing to say, I let go. I let go of my right to be recognized. I let go of my right to be in control. I let go of my right to have my name up there. And if we would give everything we had to God wholeheartedly, nothing would be impossible in this place. Do you believe that? Nothing would be impossible in this place with wholehearted people. What we need is not to have someone preach us the best message we've ever heard. What we need is not to have louder praise and worship. What we need is not to have someone come and, that, and you know, help us in our lives because we're different from everyone else. What we need is wholeheartedness and healed hearts that can be devoted and given away to God. So this morning, I'm just going to kneel to ask God to really do this in our lives. Lord, this morning, we want to say, take control. Lord, let, this morning we say, we let go willingly to you. Lord, this morning we let go of every right to be recognized. Lord, we let go to every right to have our name out there. Lord, we get let go of every need to be in control of our job or our future or our path. God, we want to say that we're sorry. We're, what we've said is, Lord, you're the Lord of my life, but this is how I'm having it, and this is the way it's going to be. Lord, we're sorry where we've become offended because you've changed the circumstances of our life, and we've been unwilling to let that be the case. Lord, this morning we want to say, What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Lord, this morning, touch our hearts by your powerful blood that you shed. Heal our hearts that we'd be so full-hearted that it would not matter to us if control is not our own. Lord Jesus, this morning, take control. Have your way. Use us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.